listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. Welcome to the Integra X-Files, a place where we'll explore and solve for the X-Factor that will help reshape the future of long-term care pharmacy. Join us to discuss topics and insights that will help you discover ways to grow your pharmacy, stay up to date on important legislative and regulatory issues, learn best practices for operating a profitable pharmacy business, and unlock the mysteries of technology. Join hosts Francis Nahas, Chief Strategy Officer for Red Sail Technologies, and Jim McDonald, Vice President of Sales at Integra, as they connect with experts and leaders in the field to bring you content that matters in long-term care. Excellent. Well, welcome everybody to the first X-Files podcast. My name is Francis Nahas. I am super excited to be here with my co-host Jim McDonald and with our first guest, Chad Words. So Chad, why don't why don't you introduce yourself and then we'll introduce ourselves and we'll get rolling. That sounds great. Um, well, I'm Chad Wurz. I am the chief executive for the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists. We represent pharmacists and pharmacies that work in the senior care and long-term care space across the country. Uh, I've been in this role for about three and a half years, uh, formerly was a member and a senior care pharmacist myself working in operations in Cincinnati, Ohio, as well as a consulting company that I had uh, be right before I came here, just in time for a pandemic. Congratulations. <laughs> we, uh, I, I similarly started a role pretty much right after the pandemic started. So <laughs> I sympathize and we've learned to adapt pretty well, huh? We have, there's no doubt. Awesome. Well, we're super excited to have you. Jim, why don't, why don't you give a little, since this is our first one, a little introduction to yourself as well. Sure. Jim McDonald. I'm the uh, vice president of sales at Integra. I've been in the long-term care pharmacy business for way too many years, probably <laughs> uh, 40 total if I had to do the math um, in the industry as well. I, uh, I've been in, was in long-term care pharmacy business for about 23 years uh, with some pharmacy part pharmacist partners that I had. I was a sales guy that actually grew the business so that we could sell it. Um, so, you know, I enjoy this business. I've been in it so long, I couldn't go anywhere else. Uh, but, it, you know, from my perspective, keeping my pharmacy customers today happy and developing products that make their life easier to take care of patients is really kind of a, a neat thing for me. So. so, so fun. So Jim's the one who knows all kinds of things about long-term care pharmacy. And I'm the one who uh, is just endlessly curious, I guess. <laughs> We're training her. Yeah. Right. You're training me in long-term <laughs> care. So I get to be the one that asks all the, all the silly questions for the folks who are not as deep as everybody else. I, um, so Francis Nahas, I'm part of Red Sale. Um, and I've been in the healthcare space about 10 years, but you know, in the retail pharmacy and long-term care space, really just since I joined Red Cell. So uh, been in pharmacy kind of all over the place, but not this place. So I get to be the endlessly curious one and ask all the questions. And, and this is my favorite thing to do. And now I, I get to do my favorite thing and we record it, which is talk to experts in the space and, and learn 
learn from you guys. So that's awesome. So before we we jump into pharmacy, I see you've got a um, a couple sort of interesting things standing there behind you, Chad. He has yeah. a bodyguard behind him. I think. <laughs> yeah, he has a bodyguard exactly. You know, my my mom gave me that. Oh and, sure. You know, years before the pandemic started. And um, it's become quite popular during the pandemic. All these video calls and having people be able to see into my background, I've gotten a lot of comments on it. Is it real? It's really just a cardboard cutout, but it's real. Um, and I just, I've always been a fan of Star Wars. Um, I've gotten my kids to be fans of Star Wars. I kind of understand it uh, from a different perspectives because of that. And um, it's just fun to have in the background. So, so what's amazing right now is I'm imagining the people who are listening and can't actually see this, see this trying yeah. to picture right. what in the world right. is behind you. <laughs> so what is it? Tell us it's what it just, is. It's a stormtrooper um, with his uh, gun aimed over my shoulder. <laughs> so, like know, I said, like his bodyguard. And everybody it's else, right, yeah. His bodyguard, yeah. perfect, perfect. And, oh. and what is it you're afraid of in the world of pharmacy that you need a stormtrooper bodyguard? Um, I don't think anything, but I just you know, just like the uh, Star Wars imagery. If You can't really see it behind me, but I also have uh, a triptych mural of um, X-Wing fighters you know, coming oh. across the, the lake from one of the movies. So um, I do use and evoke Star Wars imagery a lot. Wow. Well, I know we're both Cincinnati people and you're yep. a Bengals fan. I'm a Bengals fan, which is very oh. hard to be sometimes. This year's better. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, I'm suffering a Reds fan and a Bearcats fan. We are, we all have that in common for all yep. three, three of those. So that's great. Um, I'm, I've lived there for about 49 years of my life and you've lived okay. there for about the first 40 years of yours. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Both Ohio guys. Yeah, Cincinnati's great. And, and and Cincinnati has a lot of history when it comes to long-term care pharmacy, too. It does. Um, we're going to explore a little bit of that next year, put a committee together that really talks about the history of long-term care pharmacy. Um, and obviously, Cincinnati will play a role. Some places on the East Coast will play a role, and we'll try to try to piece together, you know, how did this industry get here? Um, so we're excited about that. That's great. That, that's a great way to bring it back, since this is our first one, too. In theory, what we're actually here to talk about, which is which is long-term care pharmacy. Um, so purpose of this podcast, this is the first one we're doing, is really just to dive in with experts, with customers, with folks in the industry, and talk about really hot topics in long-term care and try to figure out what the things are that the folks who are who are really successful in the space are doing that's a little bit different. So what's that X factor um, that they've got that they're doing? So so let's let's dive in. One of the reasons we wanted to have you on as our first guest is uh, Jim just got back from the conference. I wasn't able to attend. Um, was we just had the conference? I so would love to hear from you about how it was, what happened, what you took away after after being away from it for quite some time. I think from our perspective, I think we were um, somewhat surprised. Uh, we, we obviously went into this year optimistic that we could have an in-person meeting. Mm -hmm. um, we talk a lot about being prepared. Uh, we also talk a lot about being fortunate. And those two things I think are interrelated sometimes when you're working on your business. And we just happened to be going to San Diego to a hotel where we 
were a perfect fit, meaning we didn't have to share it with any other groups. So it was all ASCP people. Um, the bar area, which is you know notoriously a fun spot at our meeting, uh, had both an inside portion and a large outside portion with fire pits and places for people to network. Uh, and we took advantage of some of that outside space and that good weather in San Diego. Um, and I, I think ultimately everybody that that came to the meeting had a great time using those facilities, um, taking advantage of that to the extent that it gave people a little more comfort coming out of COVID. Um, we're not sure, but uh, it certainly performed well from a meetings perspective. We had a lot of people reconnect. Um, a lot of people use the fire pits and, you know, talk about their experiences during COVID and what they had to overcome and what they had to deal with. And uh, ultimately had a, had a really nice meeting. Yeah. ASCAP wasn't the only draw. The big, one of the big pieces was I can actually be with people again and yeah, talk to people and, and connect again, network. And uh, I, that was a big thing. You, you mentioned the outside area, the fire pits, people really like that. And they spent half the night there, uh, yeah. you know, enjoying the time, but also, you know, connecting, reconnecting about their industry and the business. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's you. Yeah, I, I keep joking. I'm like humans in 3D is a very exciting. Thing <laughs> right. Yeah, there you so go. You'd be surprised how many people you like walk up to, and you're like, I think I know you, and it it has takes you a second to realize I do, but I've only met you on TV. Like, right. This right. Is the first, I didn't know how tall, short, you know, I didn't right. know anything. Right you know, other than what I could see on that television screen. So, and that three-dimensional aspect does make a difference. I mean, it does. It really does. It really does. So anything from an industry perspective, you know, she got everyone together that surprised you or, or uh, was really interesting after the time. I, I, you know, I think from our perspective, um, and I don't think it began at the meeting, it's sort of served as a backdrop to the meeting is just how well pharmacists and pharmacies responded to COVID. Um, I think we all might've expected that we would rise to the occasion, but um, seeing it in real time and seeing it happen um, and being able to see the people that you were on the phone with at all hours of the night, working with a government agency or trying to acquire product, uh, vaccine product or therapy products for, and recognizing the challenges that they had to face. I, I think that's what I took from the meeting is almost almost getting to say thanks for that, but also just getting to just, you know, pat somebody on the back or give them a hug and be like, man, it's been a rough we did this. Yeah, exactly. we did this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and the nice thing, I was in Washington, D.C. earlier in the week, and and I think all of what you just talked about, vaccines, especially in long-term care, really helped form an opinion for a long-term care pharmacy. Obviously, mm -hmm. there's a new bill for the long-term care pharmacy definition bill or act. And I think that will help go a long way to help support that bill. Yeah, I agree. I think that a number of the issues that may have, um, I don't know if plague is the right word, but plagued the the industry as a whole for a long time are going to get some real attention, uh, whether it's provider status language for pharmacists, whether it's the long-term care pharmacy definition, whether it's expanding our practice into a home setting um, from, from being predominantly long-term care. All those things are going to get a, a great deal of attention because pharmacy responded the way, you know, you again, we, we might have anticipated, but kind of responded the way that we've had uh, our reputation for for decades, which is we're, we're trusted and we're accessible. And in this emergency, what we needed was people that we could trust 
and places that we could go get the vaccine, get the attention that we needed. Businesses were closed. Doctors' offices were closed. You know, clinics were closed, but pharmacies weren't closed. And whether or not they were pharmacies that serviced a community or whether they were ones that were servicing nursing facilities or assisted living, they had to be open and they had to be responsive and innovative and adjust to what was a very dynamic um, emergency. Um, so I, I think that the fact that we performed so well as a group, as a as a profession, uh, certainly gives us a lot of chips that we can push in D.C. with, uh, again, legislative and regulatory issues that are important. That's awesome. So, you know, with every kind of crisis, it's it's you know, we can't prevent change, but how you respond is really important. I'm curious your view of of the folks who were, um, you know, successful is almost the wrong word, but who really were able to kind of deliver in the face of the emergency and really were able to be out there for community. Is there anything that they did that you saw, you know, that was unique or that they had done over the years before that really prepared them to respond, um, in the best way possible? Yeah. And I I don't want to give away too much of my, my feelings on what the X factor is for. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to say that to the end. but, you know, what what pharmacists have always done in this space, you know, if you go back 50 years to when um, ASCP started in the late 60s, uh, they started around a group of pharmacists that were trying to figure out how to service nursing facilities. Um, nursing facilities were new. Uh, having, you know, 80 to 100 people in a congregate care environment was new. Uh, these were community pharmacists that were expanding what they did, and they started to think about things like, well, what would make it more efficient for a nurse that has to pass meds for 20 people? What would make it more efficient to have on site at the nursing facility uh, that's available to them because we aren't going to be able to drive it to them fast enough from the pharmacy? And the industry kind of evolved out of that. And it evolved into all kinds of innovations all the way through, you know, MRR innovations and starting to pay attention to polypharmacy and taking care of people on multiple medications um, and all the technology that's emerged over that 50 year period as well. How can we be more efficient and be more responsive so that at the end of the day, the care that we're delivering is appropriate and quality driven for the patients that we're taking care of? So I think when you look at what happened in the pandemic, you you saw that sort of reignite a little bit, even simple things like um, how do we deliver meds? We, we usually put them in plastic totes and we take them into the facility and we open it up and we have the nurse check with us all the meds that are in the tote, right. make sure everything's there. How do we innovate out of that? How do we take advantage of technology? How do we, you know, how do we do that outside so that we're not mm-hmm. potentially infecting people? Um, and a lot of pharmacies were uh, kind of back to, to the way our meeting sort of unfolded, but they were prepared because they had thought about you know, different scenarios where they might have to have an emergency plan and they were able to access that and apply it to the pandemic. Um, and then evolve from that standard procedures that, that we will likely continue going forward. Continue, exactly. Yeah. So um, I think that's part of, um, I think what is so resilient about our profession, especially those that, that work in the long-term care space and the senior care space, is they're able to access that entrepreneurial gene and that innovative gene and say, okay, what do I need to do? The, the dynamics changed. Uh, what do I need to do to adjust to that and maintain the quality care that we provide? 
And some of the dynamics that I think probably change, and I hear it every day when I'm in pharmacies, is the staffing um, mm-hmm. issue that has become from the great resignation, if you want to call it that. That's what I hear it's called. Um, so people, it's different, and it's hard to hire today. It is hard to hire today. Um, and again, I think you know you you look to what's going to support you in that. Um, environment. You're going to look to technology. You're going to look to uh, ways to be more efficient. Um, I think to some degree, and I know it's not universal, but jobs in long-term care pharmacy are a little bit more sought after than maybe jobs in a retail pharmacy environment. So I think we're insulated a little bit um, in that we may be suffering a little bit of a staffing shortage, but it's not, it's not so bad that we're seeing in other sectors of pharmacy. Uh, certainly it's not as bad as we're seeing in the nursing facility itself. So I, I think one of the more impactful moments of the pandemic for me was listening to AHCA tell the government, tell the CDC, hey, we can't do the vaccines. We need the pharmacies to do it. And just the recognition that you know, that's a big responsibility to to hand off to a partner. And are we going to be able to step in and rise up and, and handle that responsibility? And and I'm sure there's a, a number of pharmacies that wish we wouldn't have been so <laughs> eager to do that. But the reality is we we were able to do it. And it's going to open doors in the, into the future because we are going to have to support those nursing facilities from a staffing perspective because they are much more um, berated from a staffing perspective than even the pharmacies are uh, in the long-term care space. So we still struggle. We're still looking for efficiency and, and innovation, but we're also doing it not only in our own workplaces, but to our clients as well. Um, so again. I, yeah, I, f- I find that super interesting. So what is it you think that actually helps insulate? And I know they're not completely insulated, but insulate a little bit from some of the dynamics happening in, in retail or other healthcare facilities. Um, I, I just, I, I just think, I, I don't know if it's the patient facing component of it. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would, you know, when I travel, I always equate the gate agent of the airline to when I used to work in a pharmacy where I had to face patients. Like it yeah. can be a challenge. Um, they want to know, you know, why does it cost so much and why did it take so long? And there's a lot of pressure um, that's put on them. And then you throw staffing issues in and you throw workload in uh, and it can become a very difficult job for a pharmacy technician or a pharmacist. Um, in long-term care, you're a little insulated. You're in a closed door environment. You have to deal with patients and clients on the phone, but it's not the same as in person. Um, so I think that helps a little bit. Um, I think just the job quality itself helps a little bit um, because you're taking care of a vulnerable population. There's a there's more of a mission involved in it. Um, and then if you're a consultant and you're out in the field and you're in the facilities, there's more of a patient care f- focus uh, than, than a dispensing focus. So I think that all those things kind of help um, give the job some variability. So it keeps it interesting and um, makes it a little bit different than your typical community pharmacy job. N- nothing against community pharmacies, but by by any means, it's just a different facet of of pharmacy. Mm-hmm. How did you get into pharmacy? Should have started with that from the beginning, but right. Um, so yeah, I've got an interesting. My best friend uh, at the time, I was fourteen years old. So I look at my kids and I'm like, you, you know, you you can't get a job in a pharmacy as a fourteen year old anymore. They they won't let you. Um, but I got involved very early as a fourteen year old. I was stocking shelves, um, uh, independent community pharmacy. 
Um, and that's really where I fell in love with the profession. I mean, dealing with patients from not just their prescriptions, but their home health needs, uh, their, their, they come in and ask questions a lot to independent community pharmacies. Um, so I was a stock person. I was a delivery driver. I became a technician. I went to pharmacy school and was an intern and ultimately was a pharmacist when I did my PharmD degree. Uh, I was a licensed pharmacist at that pharmacy before it sold to um, one of the big chains. So I just have a long, you know, just the experience that that gave me to people, um, especially the older adult population was invaluable and, and shaped the, my direction as a pharmacist. Yeah. It's, that's so funny. I feel like I hear that story so often for folks who go into pharmacy is, you know, they, they were really, really young when they were yeah. first sort of in a store, working in a store and um, I just kind of fell in love with it. So, yeah, I mean, just some of the experiences that you had, like I remember delivering to people where they would take you into their house, down into their basement, and in the coffee can, they would have buried cash because they were that generation and they would get their cash out and they would pay you. And I'm like, people today don't have that experience. Like you don't get no, to see uh, that. Like yeah, yeah. in fact, you probably wouldn't want to go into somebody's basement. No, no, you totally exactly. be like, no, I'm not allowed. <laughs> I got that experience and, and really yeah. kind of gave you insight into how people have to try to manage and manage medications um, either in a home setting or in a, in a long-term care setting. It, it makes it really personal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jim, what did you take away from ASCP? You got the chance to, to go and. Uh, I think a big piece of it, and, and certainly from a different perspective, from a sponsor or a vendor supporter, um, the big thing was again, the people connection getting back to see people and it really showed up in the exhibit area uh, where people were, you know, people obviously were sat in their classes and they, they talked, but once they got into that exhibit area, especially on the night of the reception, it became a pretty much of a party atmosphere, which I think was probably the goal. And we contributed to that with a lot of Prosecco, but um, I think everybody reconnecting was the value that I got out of it. And it gave everybody in such a good mood uh, that they talked to you spent time with you where maybe otherwise they wouldn't have it's a lot of times you go by a vendor it's just walk by the vendor this time it was friends meeting friends uh and i have a long history with many of these people and to be without that connection for a couple years face to face was tough you, you as chad said you know you saw them on a screen on a monitor you're on a phone but there's nothing like that 3d kind of thing right so right. yeah i think i think as we come away and i think in washington dc it was a carryover yeah, talk about long-term care at home, following patients to home, how the pharmacy can expand what it's doing and, and capitalize on the things that they did during the, the during the pandemic, I guess, um, and capitalize on their worth, I think, to the to the industry and to the community in large, at large. So. Yeah, it's, it's consistent theme. I think it's never ceased to amaze me in healthcare how small of a world it is. And it's probably magnified times 10, I feel like, in uh, in pharmacy and in particular long-term care pharmacy, right? It's, yeah. It's, I've always said there's 400 um, people in the industry and when music stops, as, you know, you hope you have a chair when, you, when right. the music stops. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Some people have retired out of this industry, but there's many that are still in it that have been here a long time. Yeah. yeah Great yeah. place to be. Yeah. yeah. So it's cool. So, so a couple of really interesting themes. So a, just actually being able to get back together and, and share ideas. Um, 
hiring, right? And maintaining staff. So the great resignation is definitely a theme we're hearing. Um, you mentioned one, Jim, just now, and I think Chad, you had echoed it also of sort of long-term care to the home being a new a new area. What 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 did you guys hear about that at the conference? Well, I mean, I, I don't know if it's new. I mean, I feel like I talk a lot about the dynamic nature of our over 65 population. And we we all kind of live with it on a day-by-day basis. So it's almost like when someone doesn't see you for a while, just as Jim was talking yeah. about, you know, you've changed. Um, you recognize them, but a lot's gone on and you have to catch up. And I think living in the environment of working with people in the senior care space, uh, it's it's not as easy to recognize the the dynamic shift. But if you were to walk into a nursing facility 15 years ago, um, they would look a lot different than they look today. You know, today there's a lot of people with advanced psychosis, advanced dementia that live in the nursing facilities. There's a lot of people that are transitioning from a hospital stay to home. Um, And that's not um, because of a change in focus. That's because we're trying to deal with the change in the overall population and how to care for them. Um, They don't make nursing home beds. Um, There's a set number of nursing homes and a set number of nursing home beds. As people live longer, um, live uh, more with more medically complex issues. What's left for somebody that requires a nursing home stay are going to be people with very advanced, uh, very complex health conditions. But that displaces a lot of people that traditionally may have been in the nursing home that now can't be. So they have to go to assisted living or they have to be maintained in their their house. So there's one part of this that is I prefer to live out my days at home. I want to have all the bells and whistles and nursing support and um, innovations and technology so I can stay at home. And and there's definitely an incentive for people to want to do that. But there's also the fact that we might not have anywhere else for you to go, but your home. So we have to figure out how to prepare and deliver high quality services to people that live in a home-like environment. And certainly a lot of the experience and things that long-term care pharmacists have done for the past 50 years apply to individuals that live in their house. Do they need specialized packaging, um, compliance and adherence monitoring? Do they need uh, medication regimen reviews? Do they need 24-7 access? Do they need emergency supplies in some close proximity to them because of their particular uh, medical issues? It's a yes to all that. So how do we position as an industry to be able to be supportive of that and be able to help as this population shifts? Um, I did a little back of the napkin sort of um, assessment of the numbers of people. There's 55 million people over the age of 65 today, about 3% at some point, touch long-term care, touch a skilled nursing facility. If that same 3% number is applied in 2030, which is only eight years from now, there'll be 74 million people over the age of 65, and that will displace 900,000 people that normally would be in the nursing home that can't be in the nursing home. They have to be somewhere else. They have to be in assisted living. They have to be at home. So we have to prepare uh, those environments for a more sophisticated patient And that has to be through the kinds of services, at least from a medication management perspective, that long-term care pharmacies provide. And I think um, we're starting to see that. And as Jim pointed out, the attention that we've received through the pandemic is just going to accelerate that thought process and that, hey, these are the pharmacies that stepped in and were able to manage uh, these older adults 
in a crisis, we need to make sure that they have access to those kinds of services ongoing. Um, so it's going to it's going to feed a little bit of that. And we're going to hopefully push ourselves to be more prepared for what's coming in this this next seven to eight years. Yeah. I thought it was a super I wrote down and then drew a circle around it and drew a circle around it again. <laughs> that statement of that they don't make more nursing home beds, right? And, oh, I, and, I think and, when we, and, and there's incentives not to. I mean, I, we yeah, recognize exactly. that's an expensive place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, it's not necessarily where people want to end up. We, no. we get it. Yeah, uh, but yeah. there's also there's also the question that people ask all the time that is, well, are there even going to be nursing homes? Well, there have to be. Yeah, there, there have to be, because at some point you there are people so medically complex, so advanced in their conditions that they they have to be in an environment with 24 seven nursing home care. So there's always going to be a, a need for that bed. It's just who occupies it is going to be a different person. Um, and, and again, we've seen that over the last 20 years. I mean, we all remember working in a rest home. Well, there's, I mean, look around. Is there a rest home anywhere? Uh, right. They probably look like a, some of the uh, less sophisticated assisted living facilities now, but hmm. it's shifting and we've got to shift with it um, because those patients need the services we provide. They're just no longer residing in nursing facilities. They're in assisted living. They're at, they're at home. So do you see sort of clinical, so in my head, I'm going down, right? There, there's kind of clinical cases that probably will end up in a nursing home and clinical that probably are folks who can age at home. Sure. And so do, do you see a sort of bifurcation that's pretty clear around which kind of conditions go one way or the other? Or is that still, hey, the industry's kind of figuring it out? And- you know, I think we're figuring it out. I think how technology can support those conditions is going to help us figure that out. Like, can we... Like how, you know, dementia is a big issue. Yeah. How much, what level of dementia is going to be safe for you at home? And especially if you're by yourself, you know, are you going to turn the oven on and forget to turn it off? Um, what what kinds of risks do you have? So, so what technologies can support that? And at what point do we not have the technology or the wherewithal to support it where those individuals move to a higher level? Um, and I think every disease, every complexity has its, you know, extremes. The people at the upper end of those extremes um, are going to be the ones that that need to be in the nursing centers and the ones maybe at the lower end or, or, you know, just, just had diagnosis of certain conditions can probably um, be supported at home for a certain amount of time. And I think there's going to be that continued sort of staged approach. Like we're keeping you in your home. We've given you all this technology. We have a nurse coming in every day, but at some point, we really want you to be in a in a higher level of care, maybe an assisted living, where at least there's a nurse around 24-7. And then at some point, it's going to be, you know what, you need so much one-on-one or hands-on nursing care that you have to be in a nursing home. Um, and I don't know that it's, there will be certain diseases that um, make more sense for at home than a nursing facility, but at the end of the day, it's going to be the complexity. You know, how many, do you have five conditions that require nursing care versus one uh, and how does the technology overlay? Yeah. So, so what kind of pharmacy who's kind of thinking about this future do now? What should they be doing now? Um, well, I think they should be uh, engaged in industry, like listening to this podcast, uh, certainly paying attention to what's going on uh, in the government and the agencies as they approach this. This is not something that that only um, we're facing. It's it's an overall healthcare initiative. Um, so paying attention to that, recognizing how their services might be applied to people that live at home, 
uh, and in less less structured levels of care, um, and how they might innovate to support that kind of uh, situation, which again kind of brings us back full circle to the pandemic experience. You know, you just the amazing innovations that came out of that, and how quickly they came because there wasn't an alternative. There wasn't the alternative of doing it the way you did yesterday. Now we're in a pandemic. We have an outbreak. What are we going to do to max protect the people in that nursing facility and our own people? Um, and the innovations came quickly. So I think applying that same approach, you know, certainly doesn't have to be something we figure out overnight, but we figure it out in a way that meets the needs of the patients. I think that's what that's what people should be thinking about. What inspires you? What gets you excited about about the future? I think what inspires me is honestly, I'm I'm a pharmacist, you know, since I was 14 years old, basically. Um, I'm inspired by other pharmacists and pharmacies. I I get excited about watching what they innovate and being able to amplify it. Um, People talked about ASCP's role during the pandemic, and I, you know, I deflect that. That's what we're here for. We're here to see what the pharmacies and pharmacists are doing and really do two things. Make sure that what they've done running into the fire, they're protected. So some of it was, hey, they're doing this already. We better change statutes and create some flexibilities because they're just doing what they need to to save lives and we have to protect them from that. And then the other piece is making sure that those regulators and and legislators are aware of what specifically long-term care pharmacies do and how they operate so that they don't create any regulations that make it harder to do that job every day, that they make sure that they're empowered. Um, and I think, I think everybody's done a pretty good job of that um, through the pandemic. Um, but that's what, you know, that's what motivates me is just watching the industry continue to excel and grow uh, and watching the profession step into roles that it, it had not been in in the past. Related to what you just mentioned, um, you're obviously not a practicing pharmacist today. You're not working on the counter. The things you just described kind of directed you towards the role you have today. Yeah, I mean, I I, I had an interesting um, experience when I was a graduating pharmacist. I did a rotation at the Ohio Pharmacists Association, and I got to see sort of the other side, the make sure you stay engaged and involved, make sure you're paying attention to government and, and regulations that you're, you know, you're a fine line away from being regulated out of a profession. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. So uh, that got me engaged and I stayed pretty engaged throughout my career. Um I will say I would have never guessed that, you know, 20 years after that experience, I would be moving my family to DC and um, stepping into a role the, to hopefully guide the profession forward. Uh, but I didn't see it as a big difference from what I was doing before. Um, okay. My last job was 80 pharmacists consulting to long-term care facilities and assisted living across the country and, and working to make sure that they had what they needed to do their best job every day. Um, now it's, you know, 5,000 pharmacists across the country and making sure that the the path is clear for them to do what they do well every day. Um, and it's, you know, aimed at government and agencies and, and explaining what they do, but, uh, it just felt to me like a natural progression. And again, I'm a pharmacist. I I have a lot of faith and a lot of, um, I'm endeared to pharmacy. So I want to see it continue to evolve and, and be what it can be. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you've interacted with legislatures, um, legislators a lot, uh, right over this history. And you made the comment of sort of, 
you know, you're, you're one regulation away from being out of a job. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great line. What's the thing, you know, if on the off chance we had somebody in the legislature, what's the thing you wish they understood about pharmacy the most, or what's, what's the biggest misconception? I, I, that's a, there's a two, there's two answers to that one, just, Pharmacy as a profession and as a whole, I'll come back to that one. But for long-term care and senior care, I just wish they understood, you know, what role those pharmacies play, that they do sort of sit between what you might envision a hospital pharmacy is and what you might envision a corner drugstore is, Um, and that they're sophisticated and they do IV medications and they have electronic records and, you know, just the things that, you know, seem so obvious to those of us that work in the industry, but to them... You know, all they're thinking about is, well, you, what do you mean the person doesn't walk to the corner drugstore to get their prescription filled? And, and let's be clear, when they say the corner drugstore, they mean CVS or Walgreens, right? Right, they, right. They literally mean, <laughs> they literally think they walk to the corner drugstore and you're like, okay, yeah. even even in the, in the thralls of the pandemic with the monoclonal antibody treatments and the vaccines, identifying that, hey, in some ways, you can set up a mass vaccination clinic and you can service people in the community, but you can't treat it the same as somebody that has to go into a nursing home, deal with individuals that do have dementia, and go room to room and vaccinate. That's a much different thing yeah. than just saying, hey, we're going to set up a clinic, get in line. Um, there were legislators and agency people that felt like, well, why can't the people in the nursing home just get in line, put their mask on, distance six feet, and wait for their wait for their vaccine. And you, yeah. you just look at them like, okay, we've got to start really? over. Really? <laughs> Explain <laughs> this. So exactly. I wish that they understood that a little more. I understand why they don't. It's not a, you know, it's not a big part of healthcare. Um, but I wish that that was an easier conversation because you feel like you have it over and over and over again, every time something comes up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who are we, you know, explaining that in this industry, you could be a pharmacy in rural Montana order something and you would get it in 24 hours and get it to your nursing home in another two hours was again, foreign to to the government. They felt like they had to reinvent the supply chain and you're trying to explain to them, no, we have a really, really good supply chain. Really good one. Let's use it. Yeah. Um, So that's what the one thing I wish that uh, people in in DC and and we work every day to try to educate. I wish they understood. Yeah. 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 And from a professional perspective, I think it's just recognizing the power of the accessibility of a pharmacist, the fact that nobody's more than five miles away, that they're capable not only of you know dispensing your medications, but they're capable of providing vaccination services. And, and there's a component of that that is beyond just delivering something, a product, that there's an assessment component to that, that if we if we allow pharmacists to test, treat, and vaccinate, that that might mean you go to the pharmacy, you take a test, you find out if it's flu, if it's COVID, or if it's something else. And based on that, you might get a certain antiviral medication. You might get referred to the doctor. um, You might get a vaccination. That that is a a very important component to staving off the next pandemic Mm -hmm. and giving people better access to better healthcare. Um, so that's probably the, from a profession's perspective. And that could, that could go to diabetes. It could go to mental health. Um, there's a, a variety of ways that that could be important to pharmacists and to, and to the public. That's awesome. Jim, what, I'm, I'm curious, cause you've lived around the space for a long time too. What's, what's the thing you wish folks knew that maybe they don't? 
Yeah. One of the things and I have a voice of experience. I had my mother-in-law live with me for 14 years. Um, and I think one of the things that I think people don't see today, and I think we're seeing more of it is uh, compliance medication. That was something we had to monitor. We had to make sure she had her meds in her little containers, and we had to make sure she took it every day. I think more people need to see that this pharmacy, these, especially long-term care pharmacies, taking those to home can provide that compliance packaging. That's not only a piece of it. Then they, they look at those the relationship from medication to medication, um, all the, the the future of that patient and what they might see coming. Where the corner drugstore, that pharmacist sees them today, like you mentioned earlier, when they come in and they pick up their medication, that's all they see. Um, that consultant pharmacist sees more than that. And I think that's what people need to realize, what a consultant pharmacist can offer. And that's from the long-term care pharmacy perspective, from the consultant pharmacist. And I think ultimately, what people don't realize is that the pharmacist should be paid for those services. And I think that's what we've got to, to, to look at this industry to help yeah. uh, to make sure. And that's where the long-term care pharmacy definition maybe will help. And I think that's where legislators have finally seen, or hopefully will have seen, although I talked a bunch of them a week ago that didn't get it, but they will see that there is a difference from what long-term care pharmacy can bring to the table. And I think that's, that's the difference between I was in, you know, working in a pharmacy and doing deliveries and selling pharmacy services. The technologies today are far greater and people need to realize that. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, Jim, because compliance and adherence is, is always been a big issue for community dwelling patients. And it's, it's really something we look at in skilled nursing and say, we don't really worry about compliance and adherence because nurses are passing the meds. Passing medications. For the, for the vast majority, we're not worried that they're not getting it. Um, but I don't, I don't think we've done a good job explaining what that might mean. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I bring this up because there was a, transcript I read from a, a MedPAC meeting, and they were talking about um, whether or not um, these kinds of services should be applied to people that live at home and whether or not there's any difference in quality. And obviously, living and working in this industry, I could tell you that when I walked into a skilled nursing facility, you know, I had a job, there was plenty to do, there's a lot of medication management issues, but compliance and adherence wasn't necessarily one of them. Mm-hmm. But as you move to assisted living, and you move to the community, compliance and adherence started to become a bigger deal. And even in those environments, so was multiple prescribers and polypharmacy issues. So I I found it interesting that there wasn't this perception that in nursing homes, and I know that people have their perceptions about nursing homes, that there wasn't at least good medication management, because I think there is. Is it perfect? No. But is it better than maybe we would see in a very sophisticated assisted living facility? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, they don't all have consultant pharmacists. They don't all have pharmacies that dispense in um, compliance packaging or or have electronic systems to to monitor that. So I think we need to do a good job as an industry to start teasing some of that information out because we've got it. The pharmacies have Agreed. it. They could say, you know what? I know that you think antipsychotics aren't aren't managed well in skilled nursing facilities, but look at them compared to assisted living. Look at them compared to the community. Community. Uh, And then you start to see what the application of the services we provide in nursing homes might do for these other environments. And I think that's going to be a big priority for the next few years. Agreed. That's awesome. So it's a a great tease. We've covered um, quite the array of topics here today. (laughs) I think everything from um, 
talking to the legislature, to staffing, to technology, to what makes long-term care unique and special that we wish people knew, to um, the acceleration of long-term care to the home, to my my favorite new phrase I wrote down, they're not making more <laughs> nursing home beds. Yeah. Um, to the and the outcomes things, of the pandemic. Yeah. Right. To the clinical things that we can do. So, so as you know, Chad, and I'm not even sure I said it in the beginning. So we're, we're going to be like, you know, 20 odd minutes into this podcast. So the name of our podcast is the X-Files. Um, and part of that is about getting to what's the X factor, right? What's the thing? So folks listen to this whole thing. What's the one thing they should take away? that they should go do differently or they should go read or learn or pay attention to tomorrow? I mean, I think it's to rely on who we are as a profession. Um, again, pharmacy in general, trust and accessibility are the two things that have always defined us and we need to use those to innovate services. I think you throw innovation in when you talk about long-term care pharmacies and pharmacists. Um, and those are the three factors, you know, if I can have three X factors, but that's the X factor that makes long-term care pharmacy different. It's not only are we trusted and accessible like all pharmacy, but we're innovative um, and we come up with solutions and we come up with them uh, in a way that enhances patient care. So that's that was my X factor for, for long-term care and senior care pharmacists. Keep innovating. Excellent, excellent. Fantastic. Jim, any last words? I appreciate your commitment to what you do, your commitment to pharmacy, uh, to the patients that live in our environments. And uh, thank you very much. Thank yeah, you. I'm it's an honor to be the first podcast yeah. person. I, I'm thrilled. <laughs> right. Yes, we're, we are thrilled as well. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, this, this was super fun. Like I said, I, I, I'm for me, this is one of my favorite things to do is just kind of talk to people who are experts in the space and learn. So really appreciate it. This has been awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Integra X-Files. We'd like to hear from you and gain your perspective on the X-Factor and improving long-term care pharmacy. Connect with us at IntegraXFiles.com. That's IntegraXFiles.com.